0: Hey everyone, thanks for joining me as I jump into Season 2 of Video Game Mythos. Ryan stole my premiere thunder with the opening sequence of Halo 2, and I have to say, that is going to be a hard one to follow up. We appreciate you sticking with the show, and we also know that we have lots of new folks who started listening recently, so welcome to the show. If you don't already, check us out on Facebook and Twitter, because we randomly give away video games. All you have to do is use hashtag VGMythos and you'll be entered into a chance to win some free video games. While you're at it, check out our website at 13palmtrees.com to learn more about the other great shows on our network. They're pretty much all nerd related, like d and and video games and stuff, so check it out. Okay, so now for the reason you're here. With well, season two, we wanted to do more crazy episodes with big, broad topics, and I can assure you, those are coming. But for the first episode, I wanted to trek back to the roots of the show and do something we haven't done in a while. So join me as I take you back to the year of 1998 and we talk about one of the best Nintendo 64 games ever made, Banjo-Kazooie. Also, if you don't think that's true, fight me. It's fine. I feel like getting my ass kicked today. At last, the dirty green and blue smog was beginning to clear. Gruntilda stood at the topmost window of her lair, grinning wickedly down on her latest world. Tiny creatures far below, she cackled, which of you will be the first to go, because apparently she only speaks in rhyme. The witch rubbed her hands in glee at the prospect of putting her favorite invention to good use. It was her pride and joy, a machine that could suck the physical beauty from its victims for Gruntilda to absorb like a sponge. And it would certainly teach her cutesy little Brentilda sister a lesson. How dare that interfering do gooder inherit the family good looks and leave Gruntilda, well, slightly disadvantaged in that department? Ha! Not anymore, gloated the witch, picking her nose smugly. Not anymore. Turning back to the bubbling cauldron, Gruntilda began to cast a spell which would reassure that she was, of course, the most wonderfully attractive creature in this bright new world. Meanwhile, Tootie was skipping home through the sunny green fields of Spiral Mountain. As she reached the garden gate, a pair of blurry eyes that could only belong to her good friend Bottles popped up from the nearby molehill. "'Morning, Tootie!' he blinked, uncorking himself from the hole. And what are your plans for this fine day? Tootie jumped up and down excitedly, remembering Banjo's promise. Oh, she squealed. When my lazy brother gets out of bed, we're going on an adventure. An adventure usually means I get to play with all the characters in a nice way. That's nice, Bottle squinted up in the sky. Hang on, isn't that your brother up there? Tootie turned and saw an odd shape swooping down towards her at high speed nope that can't be banjo she said frowning i wonder who it is sweeter than me prettier than me impossible gruntilda was so furious at the cauldron's words that she could barely control her broomstick screeching with the treetops as cute as me you stupid pot for her own sake i hope she's not the witch sped recklessly on until her target finally came into view Staring up at her from a field far below was the innocent young honey bear she'd seen in the depths of that treacherous cauldron. Gruntilda cackled. I need those looks far more than she, and finally perfect, I shall be, she cried and sent the broomstick into a deep dive. Kazooie popped out of the backpack as noise erupted from the outside window. Banjo! She squawked in alarm. Banjo, wake up! The honey bear groaned and pulled a pillow over his head. Aw, Kazooie, it's too early, came his muffled voice. This is no time to be lazy, Farface, trilled the Bree swinging anxiously to and fro. We've got trouble. Banjo yawned, rolled over, and fell out of bed in surprise as Kazooie's struggle suddenly toppled both the backpack and its stand onto the floor with a crash. At the same time, a sudden gust of wind blew open the curtains, and beneath the peals of manic laughter fading into the distance, Banjo heard the helpless cries of a voice he recognized. Tootie. The bear gulped, realizing this was definitely going to be one of those days. Uh, Kazooie? What are you doing down there? He said in confusion, grabbing the backpack as he bolted for the door. This is no time to be lazy. We've got trouble and this is where the game takes off. And as you begin to play, you notice that this sarcastic, doesn't take itself too seriously game does the perfect job of blending action-adventure with quippy humor, violence, and puzzles. As you climb Grunty's lair, Banjo and his bird pal are presented with various challenges, both physical and mental in nature. And that causes the game's story to not feel overly rushed, but it gives just the right amount of urgency to Tootie's dire situation. And it's no doubt, as you play through this game's hilarious yet strategically designed story, the different worlds Banjo and Kazooie traverse, little D&D kinda joke for ya, are littered with metaphorical and literal Easter eggs that have left the game's players baffled for a long time. Naturally, where it, there is anonymity in DFINITY, then the fans will make their own assumptions, and thank God for that, because this is where video game mythos comes in and collects its content. So let's jump into this, shall we? Let's talk about the creation and theory surrounding the 64 title. Let's start at the beginning, that crazy instrument-filled intro, likely where Banjo got his name. If you're a Banjo-Kazooie fan, then you definitively had fond memories of the game's intro. You can't help but smile as Banjo gently knocks on the screen, give you a thumbs up, and starts strumming away. One by one, the other characters reveal themselves, forming a band as they play along to the upbeat song Banjo started. Of course, Banjo eventually gets frustrated when Mumbo steals his thunder, and temporarily one-ups him by playing musical instruments, but eventually decides to keep playing and shine in his own way. Well, all of this nearly played out differently. According to Grant Kirkhol, as they were creating the music for Banjo-Kazooie, they thought it would be a great idea to have characters sing to introduce themselves, However, during development, the idea was left on the cutting room floor, and we received the lovable vocal-free intro we all know and love. I don't know if I could have handled the characters actually singing, considering they all sound like weird versions of themselves. Very strange. So, speaking of origins, it's only fitting that Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong have a lot in common. I mean, they're both developed by rare and starred anthropomorphic wild animals. However, you may be surprised to learn that Banjo, despite taking the lead role in a game already in development, made his first appearance in a non-Banjo title. That's right, our furry protagonist made his debut in Rare's 1997 title, Diddy Kong Racing, on Nintendo 64, and he wasn't just in the background either. He, along with Tup and Conker from Conker's Bad Fur Day, is a playable character and one of the heaviest in the game. Diddy Kong Racing, outside of being a fun game, also served to introduce Banjo and other playable characters to gamers before starring in its own title. So that's a little bit of his actual intro into gaming. Let's talk about the deeper origins of Banjo. Dream, Land of Giants, was an unreleased RPG that Rare was developing for the Super NES. The project was moved to the Nintendo 64 and eventually became Banjo-Kazooie. Naturally, since the game was redeveloped, assets from Dream were repurposed into Banjo. For instance, the ghost that chases Banjo in Mad Monster Mansion owes his existence to the N64 version of Dream. The artist used the head of a troll from the ill-fated title and simply added a ghost-like body to it. A similar method was used to create the door knocker at the top of Grunty's tower. The door knocker evolved from the gargoyles in the temple test level used by the developers and they came from the Trolls in the Super NES version of Dream. Well, with all of those great game assets lying around, it didn't make any sense to waste time and money creating new ones, so they took them and shoved them into Banjo-Kazooie. And I have to say, I'm not upset about it, because everything about that game seemed perfectly great. And speaking of that beloved intro we just talked about, as we discussed, Banjo-Kazooie rose from the ashes of Rare's never-released titled Dream, Many assets and design elements, such as levels, characters from the scrap game, found a home in Banjo-Kazooie. So it isn't surprising that for a time, Rare thought it best to base Banjo's intro on Dreams, which was fully motion-captured. They had one of their designers dress in a motion-capture suit and pretend to play the banjo, piccolo, and other instruments present in the intro. Unfortunately for the suited-up designer, the team decided to hand-animate the intro instead. However, they did leave one small portion of the mocap goodness behind. banjos swaying hips as he strums the banjo. That's right, that beautiful bare butt is pure motion capture. I hope you enjoy it. So moving on to some of the game aspects and elements. First up, the original life system and energy system. The current energy system used by Banjo Kazooie makes a lot of sense. Banjo is a honey bear, honey bears like honey, It's only natural that Banjo would have to collect honeycombs to replenish his health. After all, collecting health items is a platforming staple. However, that was not the plan during early development. The early energy system utilized a three-strikes-in-your-out design. Instead of honeycombs, Banjo was given more clothes. With each hit, he would lose an article of clothing. The first hit would send his hat flying, the second hit would cause him to lose his shoes, and the third and final hit would result in his death. And I don't know about you guys, but that would have made the game unforgivingly hard in some of the later levels. So speaking of later levels, as you get into the game, we all know everyone's favorite character. We mentioned him in the intro. Mumbo Jumbo. Mumbo Jumbo was kind of strange. And many of the iconic noises and phrases that Banjo-Kazooie's character uttered were often based on various members of the team working on the game. If there was humor to be found in the co-worker's predicament, then it was likely to find its way into the game, which developed into a mountain of inside jokes from the developers, and good on Rare for letting this happen. One shining example of this practice is found on the origin of Mumbo Jumbo's iconic phrase, "Umanaka." The phrase comes from Greg Kirkhope, who we mentioned a little bit ago, who was worried that he might have a serious health problem. He often showed up late to the studio after leaving the doctors, as he walked up to the corridor, he would shout, "Omi knockers. And fun fact, knockers is a British slang for testicles. The team found his exclamation humorous and collapsed the phrase to the form, Ominaka. So, sounds like he had a problem with his testicles or something of the sort. So, remember that next time you play Banjo-Kazooie. Fun fact. Speaking of great stories surrounding rare employees, like so many other things that found their way into Banjo-Kazooie's, Jinjos, the tiny bipedal creatures that are found throughout the series, drew their inspiration from another inside joke. And yes, if you haven't already figured it out, Grant Kirkhope played a part in this one as well. So here's what happened. Ed Bryan, one of the game's artists, has noticeably red hair. As a result, Kirkhope, perhaps seeking retribution for Omanaka, called him Jinji, which is short for Ginger. The developers, inspired by the nickname decided to name their teddy bear-like creatures Jinjo. This name was especially fitting because the first Jinjo they created was the orange one. You've gotta love a studio that doesn't mind making fun of itself. After all, happy employees make great memorable games. If you didn't already have enough reasons to love and appreciate Kirk Hope and his crew, With the level of creativity and sheer number of inside jokes present in the studio, it is a wonder Rare allowed anyone beyond their four walls to get involved in their franchise. Well, in the summer of 2000, a few lucky fans got to leave their mark upon Banjo-Tooie, which was the sequel to Banjo-Kazooie. Nintendo official magazine in the UK held a contest giving British fans of the games an opportunity to name three characters. There were three winners and they came up with the names Old King Cole, Chris P. Bacon, and Bullion Bill. The winners each received an original piece of artwork signed by the coders at Rare and a copy of Banjo-Tooie. How badass. Stuff like that just doesn't exist in the gaming world anymore, which totally sucks. Rare definitely loves its humor, but it isn't always so fourth wall. There's nothing quite like spotting your favorite childhood video game characters in another game, such as little Easter eggs and stuff. With so many titles under its belt, it's not unusual for Rare's diverse cast of characters to make cameos in each other's games. However, when you do, you kind of expect them to be alive. If you pay close attention to the intro of Conker's Bad Fur Day, you'll find Banjo's stuffed head mounted on a fireplace in the tavern. And that's not all. Later on, you'll see Kazooie's head on a base of an umbrella. If that wasn't creepy enough, both of their stuffed heads are seen mounted on the wall of Rare's 2003 title, Grabbed by the Ghoulies. So now that you know Rare has a dark side, we wonder where they drew their inspirations from. Well, here's an idea. If the final boss of Banjo-Kazooie feels familiar to you, that is because she's a mixture of the witches that you grew up with. Just take a look at the witch from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. In the film, the Evil Queen, often referred to as the Evil Witch in her hag form, fears that Snow White's beauty has surpassed her own form, and in order to remain the most beautiful in all the land, the Evil Queen tries to kill Snow White. Gruntilda kidnaps Tootie for similar reasons, to steal her beauty so she can become the most beautiful woman in Spiral Mountain. Even Shakespeare had a hand in shaping Gruntilda. In the game, she uses a cauldron who has two sisters and the obvious reference to Macbeth. In addition, she owes her green skin, pointy chin, and black attire to the Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz. Speaking of this crazy witch, did you know that there's a different ending to her character in the game? Spoiler alert to a 21-year-old game, after defeating the Witch Gruntilda at the end of Banjo-Kazooie, she falls off the tower. Before she dies, she casts a final spell that misses Banjo, hitting the ground instead. With the day saved, our hero takes a well-deserved break before the sequel. However, the original plan for the ending didn't wrap up so nicely, at least not right away. In the extended ending, Gruntilda's final spell hits Banjo, turning him into a frog. Of course, even with the boss defeated, that's no way to end a game. With Banjo incapacitated, it would be up to Tootie to save the day. Players would then guide Tootie through all the levels again to collect the items to reverse Gruntilda's frog spell but alas, this extended ending never came to be. Thank God, because that would have been annoying. Almost as annoying as ukulele, because they made you do that exact same thing. Weird. So those are some of the lesser known facts about the Banjo-Kazooie creation and the inspiration process. So now let's talk about some actual fan theories and facts surrounding the game. First up, let's talk about the infamous, the one and only, Stop and Swap. Of all the secrets and mysteries in the Banjo-Kazooie series, None are more tantalizing or more talked about than Stop and Swap. More rumors have circulated about it than the large doors at the top of Gruntilda's lair, and although most of them, both the silly and the sensible, are false, there are some truths in the clutter. The mystery involves six brightly colored mystery eggs and a large key made of ice found in Banjo-Kazooie and their alleged use in its sequel, Banjo-Tooie. To use stop and swap items, one would have needed to own Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie. One had to collect the eggs in Banjo-Kazooie, and then switch the game off and insert Tooie. The player would have 10 seconds to swap game cartridges, but due to revisions in the Nintendo 64 hardware, the time was reduced to only one second and therefore became impossible. Items in relation to this feature, and I'm sure you saw them throughout the game, are as follows. There's the Blue Egg in Goby's Valley, the Pink Egg in Treasure Trove Cove, the Ice Key in Freeze Easy Peak, the Cyan Egg in Mad Monster Mansion, the Green Egg also in Mad Monster Mansion, the Yellow Egg in Click Clock Tower during the winter, and the Red Egg in Rusty Bucket Bay. If you're a completionist like me, it's kind of annoying to see these items and be unable to collect them. But even though Stop and Swap was deprecated, let's be thankful Nintendo followed through and still allowed the players to have a way, a convoluted way, but a way nonetheless, to collect these items so that you aren't spending your life pounding your head off the wall wondering how to get the damn ice key. So now let's talk about one of the game's more interesting NPCs. A small part of the game with his own level, Clanker's Cavern, Clanker is a weird machine shark whale thing that has its own contained space. And let's talk about it. Clanker needs oxygen as his blowhole works once he emerges from the water. Why would a mechanical whale need oxygen if it doesn't live? The quote-unquote rust spot on Clanker's side doesn't look like rust. looks like blood and guts. Also, the inside of Clanker's body consists of bones and what seems to be walls of flesh. If Clanker was a built machine, why does it have such biotic characteristics? Clanker's teeth ache from eating garbage, which means he feels pain. Therefore, he's alive. Therefore, he can't have been built. He would have had to have been a pre-existing whale in order to actually feel. Now that I've covered these points as to why I think Clanker was once real... I will describe what I think happened to Clanker first Clanker was moved from his natural habitat, presumably the ocean into a heavily industrialized area. Clanker's cavern. Then Gruntilda had Clanker be made into a cyborg by keeping him alive, but replacing his insides with machines to grind the garbage, which is why you see these metal spinning grinding things A set of metal teeth were placed to effectively grind the garbage. The rotating blade shredded the garbage into smaller pieces, and presumably they went into a vat of acid, maybe the previous stomach of Clanker, to be dissolved. After the transformation, Gruntilda chained Clanker so he is stuck underwater, maybe just out of cruelty, and left him alone there. Clanker, now a machine, doesn't need oxygen anymore, or he would have drowned, and probably can't feel pain either. But he doesn't actually know that he is a cyborg. What if Clanker doesn't need oxygen, doesn't feel pain, but he still thinks he's a whale? If Clanker still thinks he's a whale, then he still thinks he feels pain and still needs oxygen, even though he might not. And now that that explanation is over, here's my train of thought as to why Clanker resembles a shark more than a whale. After Gruntilda turned Clanker into a machine, she thought that someone might come and help him, and so she made him look like a shark that no one ever goes near. The tail has been rotated 90 degrees and a set of gills have been installed. Gruntilda's plan worked as no one would get close to a shark, even if it is to help, that is, until Banjo-Kazooie arrive. Banjo is so nice. This would definitely help explain why the shark has a blowhole. I've always wondered that. So now let's talk about my favorite theory of all, and it's not a long one, but it's definitely a good one. Let's take a look at the universes here. Mario. And Donkey Kong definitively are in the same universe Mario made his debut in a Donkey Kong game So therefore Mario and Donkey Kong are in the same universe Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong obviously are in the same universe, right? Diddy Kong and Donkey Kong have been in the same game multiple times Diddy Kong racing contained Banjo so Banjo and Diddy Kong are from the same universe So Mario, Donkey Kong, Diddy Kong, and Banjo are all in the same universe. Banjo and Conker are also in the same universe, as we've established. So Mario, Donkey Kong, Diddy Kong, Banjo, and Conker are all in the same universe. Conker's Bad Fur Day had the boss as the iconic Necromorph. That's right, the Necromorph. So Mario... Donkey Kong, Diddy Kong, Banjo, Conker, and Alien all take place in the same universe, confirming that all these are indeed in the same universe. So tune in to the future 2020 when Mario has to save Princess Ripley from the alien that chest bursts out of Bowser. 11 out of 10 would play that game. Thank you for listening to Video Game Mythos.